Welcome to Logistics with Purpose, presented by Vector Global Logistics in partnership with Supply Chain Now. We spotlight and celebrate organizations who are dedicated to creating a positive impact. Join us for this behind-the-scenes glimpse of the origin stories, change-making progress, and future plans of organizations who are actively making a difference. Our goal isn't just to entertain you, but to inspire you to go out and change the world. And now, here's today's episode of Logistics with Purpose. Good day. My name is Enrique Alvarez, and welcome, everyone, to another amazing episode of Logistics with Purpose. Christy, good morning. How are you doing today? Good morning. I am still waking up, but I know this podcast is going to wake me up even further because we have such an exciting guest to talk to today and just doing really innovative things for people in our industry. So I'm excited to chat with her, and I have my coffee, and I'm ready to go. It's uh, it's usually amazing to actually interview people, but in particular today, you're right. It's very innovative, creative, uh, out-of-the-box thinker, like could probably disrupt the industry if she's not already doing that. So no, yeah, I'm happy people, to, happy to talk to, to her. People are going to check out her website. For sure. Well, go ahead. Give us a, make the, make the honors, uh, Christy, okay. of introducing our guest today. I will. And yes, p- plug for her website. We both had a lot of fun just scrolling around. So everybody at the end of the show, when we tell you about her, then you're going to have to go check out her website and take a look and see what we mean. Um, so I'll give that a little teaser. But in the meantime, we are excited to welcome Danielle Southcott, who is the founder and CEO of Veer Group to the show. Danielle, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you both. I'm very grateful to be here and to be able to share what we're up to with Veer. Uh, it's not the morning where I am, but I also have a coffee. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you. As long as you have coffee, you're good to go. (laughs) Well, let's start out before we get into beer and all the really cool things that you're doing there. um, Tell us a little bit about because you you have a really fascinating background that completely leads up to what you're doing now. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up and um, yeah, just sort of you as an early in your early years. Sure. So again, my name is Danielle and I'm originally from Lake Ontario, which is the Great Lakes region uh, on the Canadian side. So I'm from north of Kingston, Ontario. And I grew up uh, really just outside like a normal kid. We were in the countryside and I remember planting trees with my mom and that my dad, he works for the Ministry of Environment. So while it wasn't really that we were such an environmental family, there were uh, themes of that throughout my life. I started sailing on the Brigantine St. Lawrence II when I was 13 years old, which is an amazing youth sail training program. It's like a summer camp, adventure summer camp out of Kingston. And ever since I sailed on the St. Lawrence II, I knew that sailing and tall ships and square rig in particular were really something that I was passionate about. So, yeah, I mean, um, there's so, a lot to share. So yeah. It sounds amazing. And just for all of us, me included, that don't know what a square sail <laughs> right, <yeah>. ship is, <laughs> what does that mean? So square rig sailing vessels or traditional sailing ships would be, uh, just to make it really easy, but don't equate this, is if okay. you picture pirates of the Caribbean. That's exactly what I was ship. picturing. Yeah, but they're not pirates. And okay. they it's a actually... a little bit of a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did get to work on the set of Pirates of the Caribbean. So oh my gosh. Okay, we're going to have to talk about that. That's not a letdown. <laughs> <laughs> but the traditional ships and square rig vessels, 
So when we say square rig, we just mean the sail is like a okay. square. So that can go as far back as Viking age up wow. until the, the end of that era, oh. as you say, was around 1920 to 1930s. So that was even less than 100 years ago. So it had a very wow. long span of when you use the word square rig in a broad sense. Well, it sounds cool. it sounds like you had an incredible uh, childhood sailing yeah. and enjoying nature. Uh, do you, is there any kind of particular kind of... Uh, experience back then that inspire you or was starting to shape the person that you are now and the kind of things that you're now doing? I mean, I have to say that there was something about the way I was raised. Maybe it was just being in the outdoors, maybe just climbing trees. I really don't know. But there was a little bit of a fearlessness. Mm. And for many years, I took that fearlessness that I have, I took it for granted. I assumed that everybody believed that they could achieve anything or everybody could just believe when they pick something that mm -hmm. they can go for it and everybody can but not everybody believes in themselves and not everybody believes that they can and so i would say that it's only been relatively recently that i've i've realized that that's a little bit different about me is that i always just assumed that i could do everything mm -hmm. and of course there's some privilege that comes with that inherent privilege that i i'm born with but um i try to inspire others and let them know that if they set their mind to something, it's very likely possible that they can achieve it. And uh, I think, I hope I answered your question somehow with that. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful aspect too that so many of us grow out of, unfortunately, too. That's a unique um, and wonderful facet that you've kept with you. And yeah, I think it definitely lends to the inspiration of what you're doing now and, and where you've come from. But of course, before I ask you about your professional career, I now have to ask you about Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> so what was that about? What did you do with them? How did you get hooked up with that project? Yeah. So I, one of the companies I've founded, uh, this was now years ago, I think it might've been 2012, was called Topsail Rigging. And we had a, a traditional rigging company. So that was doing rope work and wire splices and working with the sails. So actually fabricating all of the sails and rigging that you wow. would picture. It was really fun. Very, very hands-on. Wow. Very tactile. Yeah. And uh, so then my company was brought on because they were doing a segment of one of the Pirates movies in British Columbia, Canada. So they wanted to bring a bunch of Canadian uh, talent on board. So we were able to do some of the ropes and, and sails and this sort of Very thing cool. for Pirates. And yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, I, I love that. What a unique experience to have. Okay, so let's talk about your professional career because it is also very impressive. So talk about university and what did those early career uh, choices look like? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I I didn't, uh, well, I did go to university for about okay. a year. I went to University of Toronto for Aboriginal Studies and Forestry, wow. uh, but I actually dropped out okay. and ran, uh, ran away to sea on a <laughs> schooner, uh, oh, wow. which was very classic me at that point. Um <laughs> And so eventually I said, I do want an education. I'm not just running around playing on boats. Uh, and I went to nautical college in the Netherlands. And that was Einkauze Save Art School, uh, which we had to learn. It was all in Dutch at the time. All the classes, all the textbooks, all the long form essay answers. Wow. wow. Uh, so for that, I did have to learn Dutch. And I really wanted to go to that school because it still is to this day, to my knowledge, the best school for a traditional spin on uh, maritime and seafaring. 
And okay, so what does that, I have no idea, I'm picturing all kinds of curriculum and different things. What does that actually mean? Yeah, so in some ways, it would be a normal maritime college. So you have navigation, stability, uh, maritime law, all sorts of different courses. But they, so they teach the standard for everything. But then they also teach, how would you do this only under sail? Or how would you do this as a square rig, a large square rig ship? How would you maneuver a whole vessel? Or how do you take into consideration some of those other things like leeway uh, with your sails? And yeah, just sort of approaches like that. Anchoring under sail, a big ship. So uh, some things that are missed in other more standardized courses. Yes, we did not have the same college experience. <laughs> they didn't have a lot of sailing in we Texas? We didn't. We didn't in West Texas. No, surprisingly. <laughs> um, it would have been, yeah, navigating the dirt storms would have been more like that. But yes. And so what were those, What after college, after you graduated and got this incredible experience in a completely other, another language, what were, what were those next steps? So there were there were a number of different experiences I had, which I, all of which I'm grateful for, mm-hmm. working for different ships and different projects. And I began to transition a little bit from working in the shipyard, so doing wire splices myself. And I transitioned a little bit to being behind the computer, looking mm-hmm. at the business plans and a little bit, which is a natural transition, I think, when you kind of move up into more of a management position. Sure. And I became a little bit obsessive about proving the value of clean shipping because I had worked for a a couple of different companies at that point. And while they were extremely inspirational, Mm -hmm. which was great, they did not really hit home with the financial viability. So picture these sailing, beautiful sailing ships, Mm -hmm. cargo ships, uh, but they weren't necessarily like a very strong for-profit business. right? And that frustrated me because I knew it was possible and I knew that we could make it work. So I devoted myself to developing business plans, investor packs, numbers, all this sort of correspondence. And we brought that together in a company uh, called Sail Cargo Inc. Wow. And I founded Sail Cargo Inc. in 2014. And it was really for with that mission. And I wasn't sure what project it would be, whether it was building schooners in Canada. I wanted to buy a U.S. Uh, schooner that was already existing. And what we landed on was building a brand new, huge ship in mm-hmm. Costa Rica. And it was really to prove the value of clean shipping and prove these numbers that it was possible to both have a clean and responsible, accountable company that could also be for profit. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's incredible. And it's a great story. And of course, that's mm-hmm. kind of the baseline from what you're doing now. And we'll dive right into that in a second. But before we do that, I've always been amazed uh, by the ocean. So I, I love the ocean. This comes from my father as well. And um, and I wanted to ask you, can you tell us a little bit of uh, any experience that you might have had, many Maybe one sailing something dangerous that taught you a lesson. I mean, what was the experience and then what did that teach you about uh, you and the kind of person you are? There's a lot of stories I probably shouldn't tell here. Uh, when you work uh, on sailing ships for a number of years, you get a number of those kind of experiences. <laughs> But yeah, I can definitely echo your sentiment about being amazed by the ocean and the power you see there and I think really one lesson I've taken away and I've seen it repeated time and time and time again so there are many different experiences that would have the same end result which is don't underestimate it 
don't mm-hmm. underestimate. And if uh-huh. you know that you're leaving something exposed, or you know that you should check something, or you know that the wind, you know, deep inside of you, you have this feeling that you haven't done everything to the best of your ability. You've got to go back and do it to the best of your ability. Because the sea and the water and the wind are these pervasive elements of very, very strong pervasive elements. Wind and water are not going to leave any crack uh, unexplored. And so it's the same with things like fire, heat, emotions, whether it's a crew member, you can apply it to anything. If you know that you have left something that you didn't do to the best of your ability, you've got to go back and do it. Well, wow, right. that's a that's a great life uh, a great lesson, lesson, right? This is amazing, and I love the analogy <laughs> with the ocean. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Yeah, it, really remarkable. Um, so let's talk about Veer because we're yeah completely on the path. What was the transition from that company to Veer, and of course, tell us about your mission and and exactly what um, Veer is doing now. Absolutely. So yeah, there's been a um, a growth phase for me. And it's been over the past couple of months. So I founded Sail Cargo Inc. in 2014. The primary headquarters are all in Costa Rica. We last year negotiated the purchase of another vessel. So they're building the largest wooden ship in the world right now. And we just bought a very large one uh, called Vega. And you got to check out their social media from the Instagram to the YouTube. It's it's like you're going to be addicted uh, just at Sail Cargo. And so that was a huge huge push a huge everything about that company is amazing um but i still personally felt an inkling that i wanted to do a bigger scale a little bit more industrial a little bit more right on the nose with uh you know containerized shipping and i wanted to address the concerns of these very large companies whether it is amazon ikea walmart whomever and i wanted to go right to the that corporate level and knock on their door and say i have your solution this is your boat if you choose not to use it well that's fine but then you're not coming through on the ambitions statements Mm -hmm. you've made the commitments you've made and all these things and i say because i feel sorry for you large company because you don't have an option but Mm -hmm. thankfully we're giving you the option uh, which is beer Mm -hmm. and so I decided to move into a new space, which is very different from sail cargo. It's it's like a lot more industrial, clean. Uh, it's um, it's like corporate, containerized. It's it's in many ways it's a very different approach. But uh, I think that between the two companies, we can really satisfy a number of different clients and get as many people as possible shipping clean. Mm-hmm. So let's talk, uh, let's define that a little bit more. You've talked about clean, resilient shipping. Um, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? So that's a very good uh, question. And it's an important distinction because especially with, well, I know about clean shipping, but I'm sure it's with all green or blue economy conversations. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of new terminologies that we use that we kind of just throw around. And they're not as yet defined. And so when we say the words clean shipping, that can mean anything from scrubbers to slightly different fuel to just driving more slow, slow steaming, uh, to planting trees somewhere else. So you're not even adjusting your behavior, but you're offsetting. And so just for the purpose of this conversation, I'm not attacking any of those. But for the purpose of this conversation, I'm going to use the word clean to mean true zero. 
mm. to kind of quote uh, zero emission uh, shipping technology association zestas they're very obsessed with the words true zero and so that's no that's like a no compromise and that doesn't there so veer will have zero fossil fuel wow if propulsion at all wow well which which <laughs> we have been using for millennia right i mean yes. wind was our only source of uh energy back in the day and somehow we kind of uh deviated for a little bit but it's very refreshing to not only speak to people like yourself but to see in general that companies like the ones that you mentioned uh ikea and walmart and some of those big guys really are really understanding that sustainability is no longer like a good thing you do for the planet it's a competitive advantage mm -hmm. it's a strategic competitive advantage that will make you money so even if you don't believe in saving the planet that's still going to be the future which is which is exciting especially for early movers like yourself and, and mm -hmm. beer yeah absolutely and that's where it's recently i've seen a major shift so i've worked in clean shipping in the space for over around 12 years i think and um it's just been the past two years where all of a sudden it's like a light switch was flipped mm -hmm. and people realized i can make money by right. being blue or green focused centric and I'm not commenting, I'm refraining on commenting on whether or not that's a healthy driver, <laughs> um, but it is a major driver, right? Like people want to make money. That's what these companies are for. And so if you go to a company and you ask them to change their habit and make less money, that is contradictory to everything that they ex exist for. And so in the past two years, I've seen a shift where people realize we can make money with this. Yeah. And now it's like the game is on. And it's very exciting because, of course, we've always been pushing for clean shipping. So now they're interested. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it must be incredibly validating for someone that's been doing this for so long right. as you and, and a lot of other people and companies out there. Yeah. Changing gears a bit here. So beer looks back at the classic design of ships and all the different techniques of rigging. But you guys have implemented a very innovative uh, engine uh, technology called DynaRing. Can you tell us a little more about DynaRing and what it is? and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So the, yeah, there's some interesting, uh, I find myself defining our project a lot. So please forgive me on that. But the DynaRig is the sales. So the square sales that you see. Mm -hmm. And then for your information, this vessel that we're first designing with Veer has two forms, two primary forms of propulsion, which is the DynaRig or the sails and an engine below the water. Most projects that you'll see today that work with wind are described as or categorized as wind assist. So you'll have some form of propulsion that ends with a propeller. However, that propeller is turned, could be different ways, um, but that's the primary engine. And then you'll have an assist or auxiliary engine, which are the sails. And that can take any form. We have kites, rigid sails, rotor, like there's all kinds of different exciting things. Veer is quite different because we're not wind assist. Mm. We're wind primary. And yes. in terms of a competitive, large commercial project, we're the only ones in that category. And we have a, a hydrogen assist. Uh, so if you were to type in hydrogen assist, there's like not too many <laughs> in that category. Well, technically they would, but they would be a uh, diesel hybrid 
So right. we're a wind the wind, the wind's not the other counterpart of the hybrid. Correct. Yes. Um, but so our Dyna rig technology, which is back to those sails, was actually designed in the late 1950s or, or early wow. 1950s by a German inventor. And that was in response to a, a oil crisis back then, especially yeah. in the 70s. And there were other experimental sail and wind power designs around the 60s and 70s. But when the oil prices fell again, Mm -hmm. Those kind of got pushed aside and they were never actually brought to fruition. But now we have different uh, factors being energy autonomy, energy security, you know, like lots of different things. And we're re-examining wind. So we're bringing those that design from the 1960s back into the future today. And this design of the Dynarig exists on two yachts already. So it's a proven existing design. Combined, they have 24 years of sailing time with the Dynarig, and that is the sailing yacht, sailing yachts, Maltese Falcon and Black Pearl. Definitely (laughs) check them out. If you type in Black Pearl, it had to be the Black Pearl, right? It had to, it had to tie full circle with your experience with Pirates of the Caribbean. It did, but I love Maltese Falcon as well. So if you type in Black Pearl, you'll see old square sails, and if you type in Yacht Black Pearl, you'll see the new square sails. Okay. All right. We'll definitely go and Google. We have so many things to Google after this conversation. (laughs) It'll be my whole afternoon after this. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. You go down it. You keep typing things. We know. We know it. We know it. But it's a, it's okay. very interesting to me that all these technologies are not even new. We've had them forever, like the electric car. It's not mm-hmm. a new thing. It's just the cost parity is to where it needs to be now, so that people are now looking back and saying, "Oh, now it's now it's uh, economically possible. It's attractive idea." Absolutely, and the wow. hydrogen engine was around. I'm not an expert on this, but at least over a hundred years ago. Wow. Mm-hmm. And the question is then. Just like the windmills, so if you picture a wind turbine that we see today that looks very sleek, kind of mm-hmm. like a cool spaceship, that is coming from windmills that were all over the world, but really pushed forward by the Dutch in 1500, 1600, 1700. And these windmills that you can picture, old ones, are like made of wood and they have sails kind of, and it's like quite a rickety, crazy old structure. And we brought those wind turbines into the future. And we're doing kind of a similar thing with sails on ships today. Wow. What's old is new again. Exciting. Renewable. It's it's really harnessing renewable energy. The main thing that I've seen is that essentially from the World Wars, one and two, primarily World War II, where combustion engines really took the forefront because they have, you know, that immediate power that you need. And and there's there's a lot of great things about a combustion engine. And especially during a war where you can you need that power and you need that sort of thing. Um, we basically took a sidestep or divested from renewable energy. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to re-examine renewable energy. And that's really what the difference is, in my opinion. Really cool. And besides what you're doing, you're um, you're not only looking to create a, a clean conscience here, but also projects that support it. And, of course, even expanding that out to encourage others to do the same. Um, and one example, which I'd love to hear more about, is the Astillero Verde, which I should have given Enrique this question, um, <laughs> which stands for Green Shipyard in Costa Rica. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully I say it okay. Uh, Astillero Verde, that's how they say it. Nice accent. <laughs> um, Astillero Verde is a nonprofit association for uh, coastal communities. 
in Costa Rica, in Punta Morales, which is one of the financially poorest districts in the whole country. Mm. And it is representative of the shipyard, but also of the communities around there. And so Astiero Verde, which you, sh- you can also check out on Instagram and online, is a- an affiliate 501c3, meaning it's tax deductible in the U.S. And um, they do a really amazing job of fulfilling the corporate social responsibility and the the environmental responsibility of sail cargo. So sail cargo is a for-profit company. And then Astiero Verde satisfies those extra uh, wants and needs that we have. So they're tied into each other and fulfill that. And it's it's just really beautiful. They've planted now around 9,000 trees, Mm. uh, which offset the trees that they're actually cutting to build that wooden ship. Oh, wow. So it's tied in very, very closely and in the same bioregions and this sort of thing. Yeah. You've mentioned Costa Rica a couple of times. How did you end up there? Costa Rica was identified as the country to go to for building the ship for Sail Cargo Inc. So I actually lived there for a number of years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. It must have been beautiful. I've never been, but it sounds amazing. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's, it's such a, it's a really wonderful country, you know. It's uh, very, very peaceful. So Costa Rica abolished the army in 1949. Wow. And according to the government, reallocated uh, most of their funds to education and uh, more specifically environmental education. Wow. And so they have a very high literacy rate and a very high, to use the same type of term, literacy, environmental literacy. Uh-huh. And so it's one of the most forward thinking countries in terms of green policy mm-hmm. and according to different global indexes Costa Rica is second only to Norway as being the most forward thinking green country in the world wow it's amazing mm-hmm. they're they're a world leader but they're just not on the same level that we think of when we think of world leader of green economy right. uh, but Costa Rica has a lot of policies that are really worth looking at very cool well, and I'm selling in Norway compared to selling in Costa Rica. There's a little bit of a weather <laughs> yeah. difference here. You go to one in the summer, one in the winter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think even the one in the summer for me would be cold. I'll probably stick <laughs> no! to Costa Rica. Costa Rica the whole year round. But no. Uh, I was just I was just in Norway for a couple of weeks, actually. So Norway seems to be revealing itself uh, as a strong potential location for Veer to sort mm. of put down roots. Mm-hmm. Veer is registered in the Bahamas and intends to make the Bahamas flag state the largest green shipping registry in the world. Wow. Uh, but we they don't have a place to build ships. Mm. And so there's other types of infrastructure around that that we're looking at Norway might be the place. So it's not confirmed, but uh, it's there's some beautiful sailing in Norway. <laughs> really, really exciting. And before before we jump into the next one, I just wanted to a quick question around like the timeline. When do you think the first ship will be built? So Veer's first design has received approval in principle from the American Bureau of Shipping. And this means that our design, the preliminary design is complete. And this is super exciting. Uh, it means that we are just about ready to approach shipyards with our bid package. Wow. So congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations. It is a major milestone that mm-hmm. I still, you can see my smile. When I start saying <laughs> it, I get so excited. And yeah, so we intend to approach shipyards with a bid package by the time this podcast is out, actually. Wow. Okay. Very yeah. quick. I've already met in person with representatives of eight shipyards. So we've sort of begun those conversations already. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you very much. And the ship itself should not be very difficult to build. 
and should be from the time of laying the keel, including all all aspects of it, around 18 months to be in the water. All right. We'll definitely be following up with you in a couple more months. And as the ship is being built, I would love to have like a cam or something, like a couple of pictures or something that we could stream at some point. Yes. Yeah, no, we have a lot of ideas of how to share on the journey of the build and and sort of bring people into that because that's another really important aspect of Veer is that I'd really like to sort of demystify part of mm-hmm. industrial shipping. Mm-hmm. Industrial shipping is a notoriously hard to abate sector, but it's also a notoriously opaque sector. Mm-hmm. So we talk about transparency in, in companies and shipping not always the leader in transparency, mm-hmm. as we know. So Veer, part of what we want to do is also a social aspect, an accountability aspect, and ensuring that we are transparent and telling the story about that. So yes, the build of our ship will have a carbon footprint. What is it? How are we addressing that? How can we improve that? It doesn't mean that we will have a zero carbon footprint for the build, but we can address that in a transparent manner and make steps to improving our subsequent builds that we will be making. For sure. Well, you, uh, we've, of course, highlighted this pretty much in every question, but you're doing things differently. Um, <laughs> you're taking new steps that people haven't taken, or perhaps they took many years ago, and you're bringing back in a whole new way. So challenges always come with obstacles, um, as well as opportunities. There's probably been pushback. You may have shown up at these shipyards, and they're like, I, I, I've never seen anything like this. So tell us about some of the, the challenges of trying to bring a wind-driven version of a cargo ship to the industry. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Um, some of the pushback I've received, some of the, the, there's been a lot of challenges. Sure. So typically we try to make it look kind of easy. We're maintaining transparency. If people have followed along with my communications, especially with Sail Cargo, but also with Veer, very transparent about the challenges. Mm-hmm. Sign up to our newsletter if you want to <laughs> read about the challenges. Um, but I will say one of the biggest challenges I've faced with Veer is disbelief. Mm. Disbelief from even within the industry disbelief in me which is something i've never received before as a person disbelief in the design in the claims that we can actually do this emission free across the ocean disbelief in where we've selected hydrogen that doesn't mean it's the only answer disbelief in the fact that hydrogen is an option like i mean people screaming at me and i mean during presentations if i were to do a presentation i've had the following the person following come on and say a presenter who nobody asked their opinion on my like it wasn't their position to say this well we all know that's not true oh wow calling me a liar in front of the entire crowd so real disbelief wow and it's been kind of shocking and essentially i just say well if you're you're in if you've taken that position then you're not really going to be my clearly right right (laughs) clearly not a part of my sending you the packet yeah (laughs) okay uh, it's not, it's, it's my job to state the facts, but it's not my job to convince someone who's positioned their mind in a way that they're not going to listen. Right. So that's their, their own thing, but it has been kind of shocking. Yeah. Wow. Well, you will end up convincing a lot of people. You're already mm-hmm. turning a lot of heads. And I think just preaching by example is the best way of convincing anyway. So you're, I love the idea. Um, 
interesting that some people out there don't really believe and there's disbelief in such very scientifically proven facts. Yeah. I mean, maybe proven you can just, first question would be, proven. hey, do you think the earth is still flat? And then if they say yes, all right, next one. You're the that next one. <laughs> so sort them out quickly, but no, yeah. the future is clearly there. And I wanted to mention something uh, you must be incredibly proud of. You were named by the Royal Institute of Naval Architects as one of the most influential women of the past century. The past century. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. So yeah. what was that about? And then the other one is, what would be your advice for other women, right, who are interested, maybe not necessarily in logistics or shipping or clean energy shipping, but just in general, what would be your advice for women out there uh, that are listening to this podcast? Yeah, well, well, thank you for acknowledging that I was named by the Royal Institute of Naval Architects in that way. It's a huge honor. And uh, the whole century, I speaking about disbelief, I'm in disbelief a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take I'll take it with a you know a grain of humble humbleness. But what I would say to other women who are listening, and this goes for women especially. I'll have a special part, but but to everybody because as I started this with, a lot of people just don't believe that they can. Mm-hmm. Um, so very specifically for women who are in the sort of maritime or blue ocean sector. One thing I'm going to encourage you to do, my latest favorite thing is called the Ocean Opportunity Lab. Check it out. I It's just like this amazing network. It's a map that puts all ocean things out there and has a special section highlighting and acknowledging f- uh, female founders and female leaders in the space. Go to the Ocean Opportunity Lab. It's just an awesome interactive website and map. To everybody else, I just want to say like, Obviously, there are different privileges. I don't want to take those for granted. Uh, There are different things that everybody has to deal with. But just know that if you set your mind to something, there's a very good chance you can do it. If you think that you can't do it and you wake up and you say, I don't think this is possible, then you're not making that happen. I encourage people to write your goals down with a pen and paper or whatever you have and stick it on the wall. And see that and look at it and make that your reality because you can do, you can do it. And wow. when people realize that, it's very liberating. Mm, good advice. I may have to pick, pin that up on my wall later. Thank you. Um, and I also just wanted to ask you, you're a perfect example. You're on the Logistics with Purpose podcast. You're a perfect example of Logistics with Purpose. But what is Logistics with Purpose? What does that mean to you? I think about a story my friends told me, like, a million years ago and I was talking to a bunch of my friends at a bar it was like not not the perfect scene <laughs> and they're truckers and I said what's it like like what is it like being a trucker across Canada you know it's days mm-hmm. and they said well it's pretty cool you know you get your own space and you're trucking and it's they they, they, they enjoyed it but he said but there's not a lot of purpose and feeling to what I do mm. And he explained that it's pretty common for him to be trucking a bunch of candy bars, Snickers or M&Ms or whatever, across. And he knows in the trucks that his friends drive, they're driving the same product on the same road, the other direction across Canada. Oh. And he said that that didn't give him a strong sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. And I've never forgotten that story. And I imagine how many other places of course with shipping trucks everything how many other places there are without this purpose 
Yeah. And and the efficiencies that could be made and the energy that could be saved and the purpose that that person, that truck driver or that captain or whomever it is, that they could have a much more purposeful feeling mm-hmm. to what they're doing, a meaningful feeling. And they don't want to be driving Snickers bars back and forth and radioing each other and finding out that the other person is driving the exact same thing the other way. Mm-hmm. So for me, logistics with purpose is making sure that the people are involved, it, the people involved also feel that purpose. Thank you. That was great. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. Um, Danielle, how can people connect with you? How can people learn a little bit more about beer and all the different projects that you're, you have? And of course, we're going to put all those links uh, with the episode, but, uh, but what's the best way of contacting you? Definitely check out our website and all our social media, Veer, V-E-E-R, Voyage. So our website is veer.voyage. And on our social media, check out at veer.voyage. Uh, Instagram and LinkedIn are our biggest platforms. So you'll find all our contact information there. And please check it out and follow along because we're going to be transparent and telling a fun story as we go. Yes. Well, and it sounds like there's um, a lot of photos and things we need to go check out anyway. So (laughs) um, we will certainly do that. But thank you so much. This is incredible. Thank you for sharing your background. Thank you also for just leading the way in sustainability and clean shipping. And um, of course, as a, a female founder as well. So thank you for all you're doing. And we can't wait to see how this progresses over the next few months and then past that when the first ship is built. So We appreciate your time and thank you everyone who joined us for another episode and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Thank you.